0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw John Refs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. And I forgot I was going to do my shtick. Hold on. We have Jays Jumpers. We have Jays Walkers, Jet Howards, <laughs> Jordan Hawkins. Jalen Hood Shafino's, Jaime Hockeys, and Julian Strathers. There you go. There's your first round Jays.
1: That's really like, why the That's you, really why the Nuggets took Julian Strathers to make sure he got in there.
0: That's correct. <laughs> you could You could throw Nick Smith Junior in there if you'd like to, but uh, those are our Jays. That's what we got today. Josh, how you doing?
1: Long time no see. Oh yeah, it's been a whole eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> We have second round picks to discuss now, though. So, you know, I'm excited.
0: This is true. This is true. Last night was the 2023 NBA draft, hence the Friday recording of the Jays for Days podcast. And if you stopped by the live show last night, we very much appreciate it. It was a good time. Twitch.tv slash Jays for Days pod. In the future, maybe we'll stream on on both YouTube and Twitch, sure. A little multi-stream. But last night was enjoyable. If you stopped by, thank you very much for doing so. Josh, plenty to talk about that we'll get to throughout the pod today. But let's start at the top of the draft. Seems like as good of a place as any Victor of course, of course, going number one to the San Antonio Spurs. That one was not up for a debate, but the debate started quickly at two and three, whether the Hornets would go with Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson. And on draft night, they stuck with the guy that was kind of the original favorite, uh, and that was Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller goes three and Scoot goes, excuse me, Brandon Miller goes two and Scoot goes three to the Portland Trailblazers.
1: Yeah. And you and I were both, I think kind of on the same page with this in terms of, if you really can't decide between the two of them, go take the guy that fits better that, you know, you can put into Mm -hmm. any situation. And as you've also pointed out, at Their absolute best is undoubtedly a more valuable player Mm. if Brandon Miller reaches his full potential because obviously he's a three and D plus wing who could be Paul George. Mm. You can find other high volume guards. There are only, you know, three or so guys in the Paul George Giannis Kawhi Leonard category I don't think there's anybody outside of those three that are truly elite players on both ends of the floor
0: at least not anymore
1: right right obviously LeBron fell into that category yeah
0: maybe so, play off Jimmy
1: sure yes once we get into the the uh, summertime or late spring yep Jimmy Ballard mm-hmm. elevates into that category sure <laughs>
0: Man, that's so, interesting. That's a really good point. That list of players isn't long right now. No, no, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this last night. What What Brandon Miller also can do is help define your versatility, and you're always going to be fighting the lack of versatility that comes with a six two guard, mm-hmm. a six two scoring guard, and and that might be. Belittling Scoot's talent a little bit, but just thinking about like you have to be Marcus Smart to not be something you have to work around on the defensive end as an undersized guard. And 6'2 is, it limits who you can have at the two, right? I mean, you know, guys like Anthony Black are so interesting because. You can put anybody next to Mm -hmm. him at the two. And now granted, and when, granted, LaMelo Ball was probably on the list of guys you could put next to Scoot Henderson in the backcourt, and it makes sense because of how big LaMelo is and who he can guard on the other end of the floor but it presents those same kind of issues in Portland, right? You already have yeah. undersized guards. It's hard to play undersized guards together in the NBA for long stretches and it it's it's hard to come up with a scenario in which Portland has a defense that you feel like you can depend on and not just an offense that you hope scores more than the other team every night. And and that's an interesting thing that 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 Portland will have to address especially if they actually roll all three of those guards, Damian Lillard, Scoot Henderson, and Anthony Simons, out onto the floor in October when the season starts, is is how do those three guys play together? All three guys who would expect to start, depending on where you got picked in the draft or how much money you're already being paid by the Portland Trailblazers. So very interesting, but yeah, we I I think you and I ended up in the same place when it came to why it made sense that Brandon Miller was going to end up going number two overall, even if there was plenty of momentum about Scoot over the last seven days and especially over the last two or three.
1: Yeah, and it. doing some reading this morning, it certainly appears as if the Blazers are not going to have all three of those guys when the season starts. Mm -hmm. Whether that means Dame gets traded or not, to be determined because you also have shade and sharp to factor into that who makes a little bit more sense as the third guy in that starting lineup. Correct. So I do expect, but at the that same there's...
0: time, wouldn't make sense as like the four, like he's right. not, he's not that type of player.
1: Right. I do expect that there is a, at least I guess I'll use the word intention with this pick in terms of the knock-on effect and what that's going to do when the roster is actually finalized for the season. And you can really make an argument. They got the second most talented player in the draft without having to move. Mm -hmm. And their job was made pretty easy because they're just going to, unless they traded the pick, right? You're just taking whichever guy Charlotte doesn't want. Mm -hmm. You probably hope that Brandon Miller is the guy left. But the other thing I'll I'll throw out here that I mentioned last night, too, is a motivated Scoot Henderson, who believes he should be the first player taken and went third, isn't the worst thing in the world as a consolation prize.
0: Unless he's stuck behind Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard. Then it doesn't matter how motivated he is.
1: Sure. I expect them to be able to figure this out, at least to an extent. They
0: failed as an organization if all three of them are on the roster at the start of the season. They just have yeah. like, like, I don't know what they didn't do. Like they should have either planned better or gotten out ahead of it. Or I I find it really hard to just believe. Just traded Damien Lillard. Yeah. Do something right. <laughs> um, If all three of them are on the roster, when the season starts, that's a massive underperformance from the front office. As far as I'm concerned, because it's not doing anybody any service mm-hmm. because even if you believed that scoot next to Damian Lillard would be good enough because the the roster that they trot out there right now that they trotted out last year, even if it's fully healthy and you get the best version of all of those players is still a play in team, right? Even if Nurkic is awesome and Jeremy Grant is awesome and Dame and Anthony Simons are awesome. Like that's still, I mean, you're seed, maybe. Yeah. I was going to say,
1: best case scenario, they can get out of the, they can avoid the play in. You're not, you don't have home court advantage in the first round or anything like that, though.
0: Right. So, and I just, I mean, pick a guy third overall, and then you're not putting him in the best position to succeed because if you if you keep all three of them on your roster, that's that's not what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, I I I would expect them to not have all three of them on their roster as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: that would be my assumption. Plenty of talk about who would go four and five in the draft. It kind of felt like maybe four was where the draft really started. Five or maybe six, depending on who you talked to. There was plenty of conversation about who would go at four, who would go at five. Cam Whitmore, Jerris Walker, the Thompson twins, and it was the Thompson twins back to back, four and five. Amin Thompson goes four to the Houston Rockets. Asar Thompson number 5 to the D- Detroit Pistons and the overtime elite have two top 5 picks in this draft and the Thompson Twins you know it for a long time these guys were 4 and 5 in this draft class and on draft night that's where they ended up going 4 and 5 and they round out the top 5 of this year's draft
1: clearly very little concern about the overtime elite part
0: clearly which doesn't super surprise me. That 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 feels like one of those things that that I or we might be a little bit more concerned about than 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 scouts would be because there's plenty. I mean, you can make the argument about right college too. I mean, it's it's a similar argument that you can make about pretty much anywhere other than the NBA, but but still, it's it, it, it's hesitations that I might have about any new scouting platform that a player can use to get to the NBA, but two guys in the top five and it's not like they were clear cut four and five off the board on draft night, which makes you, which, which makes it pretty obvious that where they were playing basketball last year. Wasn't that didn't cause that much hesitation.
1: Right. Because you wouldn't have really known if it was four and eight or five and seven or something like that. If it was six and 10, clearly you could draw some conclusions about there being some concern. Mm-hmm. Four or five, it's the other direction where my, my whole thing about it is just from an evaluation standpoint, how do you get any kind of accurate projection or story? when the competition is so bad relative to what you get in the highest level in college.
0: And, and in hindsight, I'm just not sure scouts differentiate between the highest level of college and overtime elite that much.
1: Yeah. Just not sure in, they care. Yeah. And you might be completely correct in that. And it's also a draft where, There just wasn't a clear, you have to go get this guy next. This is clearly the best player available. Mm -hmm. And so it's not shocking that the super athletic guys who can play on the wing and defend ended up being taken four or five. And you could even throw Anthony Black in there at six. Mm -hmm. Although, obviously, he's not necessarily a wing. But from a Houston perspective... I am interested kind of how this all fits if James Harden comes back because it's similar to what we were just talking about in Portland for me where the best thing for Amon is to have the ball in his hands, right? He needs to get as much, especially coming from overtime late, get as much experience at the NBA level as soon as possible. James Harden is not going to help do that. Whether
0: I mean his, his the current form of the Ross- Rockets isn't going to do that either. It's the Jalen Green and Kevin Porter take sixteen shots a game show.
1: Yeah, but Jalen Green can take the can take those shots without having the ball in his hands every possession.
0: Yeah, but just he start. has the ball in his hands every possession, whether he can or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I also just have more faith in Amon Thompson. To figure out how to be effective off the ball as well. I mean, he okay. shared the court with his own, with his with his brother in overtime lead. It's not like he was the only guy taking shots. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I'm not as concerned about that. There's as more to just... his
0: game than Jalen Green. Jalen Green is clearly just a scorer. He right. doesn't do anything
1: else. Right, right. My thing is, part of what Amon gives you is the ability to facilitate. Right, so to maximize him, he needs to be part of the offense.
0: Which I Which, would assume he would be. Yeah, the, the would, Rockets are horrible.
1: So. Right there's, now, there's probably
0: you, going to be room for that.
1: Yes, I, that, that's what I'm saying. If you have Jalen Green and James Harden, now I'm not so sure.
0: I think I don't think James Harden is. I think you're. I think I think you think James Harden being a Rocket is way more likely than it is at this point.
1: Yeah, you don't seem to be buying that. That's possible. And <laughs> look, who knows? And also, if you're the Rockets, you're not building your future around James Harden anyway. So, just from a immediate development standpoint. And I also like a SAR in Detroit. Now you have all of these really long athletic dudes who can guard all these different positions. You get a secondary playmaker who also doesn't have to be a prime, you know, you're not asking him to be a primary scorer. Mm -hmm. That's what you have. Jay 90 and Kate Cunningham. Therefore you are really big, but also you can guard all of those different positions, I really like the way this roster is shaping up. They're not there yet. But from a difficult to deal with and scheme against standpoint, I really like where the Pistons are going.
0: Yeah, at some point, the Pistons have to start winning basketball games. Yes. and <laughs> theory, SR can be a, a part mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. I mean I would I would like for the third guy on the perimeter for Detroit to be able to shoot the basketball. That would be that would be really nice.
1: They do not have very many guys who do that well.
0: No. <laughs> yeah. And a whole <laughs> lot of guys who would benefit from having other guys on the floor who do that well.
1: <laughs> Correct.
0: <laughs> Thompson Twins go 4 and 5. Anthony Black at number 6 to the Magic, I think a little higher than He was supposed to go in the weeks leading up to the draft, but I feel like he was one of those guys who was slowly creeping up the board, and by the time you got to number six on draft night, it wasn't all that much of a surprise, and especially when you take Cam Whitmore's name out of the equation, which clearly all of the NBA teams had when it came to the top ten of this draft, it makes a little bit more sense, but Anthony Black, what I wanted for him more than anything was to go to a place where winning and high-quality basketball were at least trending in that direction, and that's absolutely something that the Magic are trending towards mm-hmm. rather than him going somewhere where his glue guy, facilitation, big point guard, Lonzo ball-type play would go underappreciated just because those type of players go under underappreciated in... In organizations where you're just not winning at that moment, but the Magic have all of the talent in the world, and winning is the next step for them, and and getting a big guard like that that can facilitate everything that's going on there with with Franz and and Paolo is is a very good thing for the Orlando future.
1: I had I took him at six in our mock draft. I really really like this fit. Yeah, it creates a little bit of a logjam in the backcourt. You figure that out. You trade one of the other guys. But what he gives you is the ability to set all of those other guys up to just be scorers and not have to worry about having the ball in their hands and to give you, again, that defensive versatility where you can put Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, whoever, on the other team's point guard and you don't, and you can just fit the pieces better together in the backward, whatever that ends up looking like down the road. I'm a big fan of this. Really like that pick.
0: Anthony Black at six. We got a surprise at seven. Yeah. Seven and eight, the Pacers and Wizards ultimately trade. Those picks there, and I guess the Pacers were able to convince the Wizards (laughs) that they were going to draft Bilal Koulibaly at number seven. Or
1: that somebody was. Or that
0: somebody was. Yeah. Or that somebody was. Interesting. The Wizards trade up to seven to draft Koulibaly. The Pacers fall back to eight and draft the guy that it kind of felt like was destined to go there in Jairus Walker. I said it on the the mock draft that that was my favorite early round fit of of kind of the the mid lottery was Jarris Walker at seven. I think he slides in there very nicely into a power forward spot alongside Miles Turner. And all of a sudden, an NBA team that really struggled defensively last year, pretty much everywhere other than at the rim, thanks to Miles Turner, gets much more versatile. And those are two guys that you can can base your foundation on in Indiana along with the gifted offensive players that you already have in the building and, and then when you add a guy like Andrew Muhard who can guard multiple positions on the perimeter you all of a sudden have a in theory a, a really solid defense that can can kind of blossom from here so i felt like the pacers ended up in a really nice spot and the wizards get a guy in in Koulibaly that is super intriguing super young And one of those guys that really probably benefited quite a bit from being on the team that everybody (laughs) was watching because it had Victor Wimbanyama on it. And it ends up that they get get two guys from that roster drafted in the top seven and the other one being Kulavali.
1: I just want to know what made the Wizards. There are two different parts of this. There is the Wizards deciding Bilal Kulavali was their guy. And there was the Wizards deciding they needed to move up to seven to make sure that they got Bilal Bali mm-hmm. That part of it, I just... You have to assume that somebody made them believe they had to do that. I just want to know who it was. Because on the surface, it seems like they just paid... I mean, that they gave up a couple second rounders for... That they didn't have to give up. I am going to give that new front office, the benefit of the doubt and believe there was a reason that they decided to do that from a actual kind of application standpoint. You have to give cool Bali time to develop his offensive game, to adjust to the NBA. And there's no team in a better position to do that than Washington. So I do like the pick from that sense that if there's somewhere I wanted him to go, it would be Washington. You just are left wondering what what the situation was with the trade, mm-hmm. but from the Pacers, it's a yeah, it's a home run. That was your guy, arguably the best player available on the board anyway. Clearly the best fit for your team. Big fan.
0: Six seven seven two wingspan is Kula Bali. And if they're like to to your point, if there's any team in a position to do that, then then it's the Washington Wizards, and we'll see we'll see if the time and the development and the bold move frankly from the wizards is is something that that pays off. In the long run, I suppose, you know, at this point they, you know, the high, they took all of the the picks that the Suns have remaining. So they have draft capital to work with. Mm-hmm. And if you have some conviction about that guy, trade up and get him. Sure, there's there's time and resources to do that kind of thing if you're the Wizards front office right now. Walker at 8, Taylor Hendricks, the the freshman from UCF, to the Utah Jazz at 9, and Kaysom Wallace, who the Thunder traded up from 12 to get at 10, which was interesting. Another example there of a team in in the Mavericks who were probably the only team maybe in the top 15 that was going to draft Derek Lively, and they probably knew that they didn't have to fight to get Derek Lively at 10. So they trade back, get a little more draft capital, and still get their defensive, rim-running, shot-blocking, dunker spot big in Derek Lively. But Kaysom Wallace at 10 to Oklahoma City, one that we were intrigued by at that point, but... With all of the offensive upside that you have on the Thunder roster already, I was thinking about this after the draft, that having a guy with a different makeup, a different archetype, um, bringing a different kind of primary skill to that Thunder rotation is... um, is at least at least gives you some more versatility. You can throw different types of lineups out there if you'd like to. And uh Kasem Wallace kind of helps bring a different type of guy to Oklahoma City, even if it's a curious a curious move in the moment.
1: And you could also see an argument that they didn't feel like he was gonna be there at twelve. Mm-hmm. They didn't go way out of their way. This was the ballpark where it was starting to be a conversation about him coming off the board. Mm -hmm. You're also in the unfortunate situation that had one more thing fallen your way, you would have been trading up to get Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about something different. Still going for the defensive upside. And like you said, the providing a different specialty to that Thunder team, but there's a, big gap between those guys in case and Wallace. at this point you could have had you know five or six different guys as the best player available on the board depending on who you are and how you evaluated them so that is the that's ultimately kind of where i came down to i not my favorite pick but if you want to say why should i be excited about this why does this make sense it's that right there that theoretically he becomes your defensive stopper in the backcourt and you don't need him to be a star you have your foundational pieces you're trying to get other guys to elevate your team and you would have to believe that he is going to be able to do that, at least on the defensive end of the floor.
0: Number 11, probably the first, I mean, Kulibaly was probably the first surprise of the draft. Yeah. But jet Howard was closely behind the number 11 overall pick as the shock wore off here. Josh, I suppose when you've already gotten to take a guy at six, I think a guy that we both think is rock solid and Anthony black that with 11, you can p- play a little fast and loose with your second lottery pick if you choose to. And a team that needed three point shooting last year, that at least is something, you know, you're going to get from jet Howard is some three point shooting, but still a guy that. Right, there are guys that seem to rise up the the boards in pre-draft and then fall on draft night. And we'll talk about Cam Whitmore here in a second. We'll stop here at 12 and acknowledge that Cam Whitmore was still on the board here at 12, and he was going to be there for eight more picks. But Jet Howard was is one of these guys that, through the pre-draft process, for what whatever reason... Or another, he was lower and lower on boards and then on draft night got drafted higher than pretty much anybody was mocking him out to be. I mean, we're talking early to, to mid-20s, even as late as 27 on, on on one mock draft that I saw. But it's a guy that on the right night has definitely has lottery talent, but whether or not it translates to the NBA is a fair question. But I suppose when you're the Magic and you have all of the lottery picks, you you know what to do with because of the Bulls, then then um, I suppose it's a gamble worth taking, but still one that surprised me.
1: Here's the thing, though: if you take out if you take out the Mavericks, because the Mavericks have a specific set of criteria they're working with, Derek Lively was always the pick that made sense. They did a mm-hmm. phenomenal job managing to get themselves more financial flexibility and still getting their guy and then getting another one at the end of the first round of Olivia Maxine's prosper. I, mm-hmm. to me, Dallas was the biggest winner of the night. I mean, Outside they still have of Kyrie
0: that, Irving on their basketball team. So that's tough.
1: <laughs> well, not technically,
0: not technically. Not hmm. right. Fair. Thank you. (laughs) They're the team most likely to – they're going to have to – they will likely be the team paying Kyrie Irving his paychecks next year.
1: Yes. They are trying to be the team paying Kyrie Irving his paychecks next year. Yeah. Different conversation. But if you take them out because it just made sense for them to go get the rim protector who is going to have a really low usage rate and fits well with what they're trying to do there. The next two guys to come off the board – are shooters. Sure. So not only have you decided that Jet Howard is worth taking at 11, you have decided that Jet Howard's shooting is more appealing than both Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins, who to me are clearly the best two shooters in this draft. You can have a conversation about which one is the better shooter. That's the other part of this that's confusing for me the more I've thought about it. I don't really have much more to say other than that.
0: But does Jed Howard have
1: the highest ceiling? You could make an argument. He also has the lowest floor.
0: Sure. So last night, you make the argument about teams that are close taking a gamble. I mean, Grady Dick is only going to shoot in the NBA. Jordan Hawkins is only going to shoot in the NBA.
1: He might give you some defense generally yeah okay well here's my i don't see jet howard as an ultimate difference maker
0: but do you see i mean would you concede that he's the most likely of the three to be as a six eight guy
1: yes slightly better chance yes not enough for me to go take the risk though what i'm willing to gamble on is guys i can feel i feel like can be all-stars and Legitimate impact players, you know, third best player on a championship team, missing piece kind of guys.
0: Okay. So late in the late in the first round, you think you're finding a third, the third best guy on a championship team, guy.
1: It's I'll guess I'll put it this way. To me, it's more likely Derek Whitehead becomes that guy than jet Howard. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Not Fine. saying Derek Whitehead is going to.
0: That's fine. I will never understand that part of your draft philosophy. But (laughs) Jet Howard goes number 11 to the Orlando Magic. Derek Lively at 12. And Cam Whitmore was still on the board there. And he would be all the way until number 20 when the Houston Rockets drafted him. Ironically, a team that on some mock drafts he was going to go to at number four. He goes to them all the way at number 20. Here are some of the things I read. After the draft last night, uh, Jonathan Gavoni saying, quote, struggling at times with his shooting and intensity. That seems like two things that you should be good at in your individual workout if you're supposed to be a scorer in the NBA. Jonathan Wasserman via Bleacher Report, quote, there have been some concerns over Cam Whitmore's medicals, which could cause a few teams to pass in the mid-lottery. And then this, this longer quote from David Aldridge at The Athletic, Quote, Whitmore was not a practice-type player and didn't look very good during the week, but once he played, he was one of the better players in the game. He's going to have to exert some effort, some ability, and skill level in practice for a head coach to put him in a game. He's not going to be guaranteed minutes like he probably was at Villanova. So put all of those things together and... I'm still surprised he dropped all the way to 20, but it starts to make more sense when you put those things together.
1: There's also a couple different things going on there in terms of teams kind of just being turned off by what they saw from him in interviews and workouts and the medical, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I also saw something that at least one team had red flagged the medical, which is part of what we were speculating about last night is that that had to be part of the story probably to explain how he dropped from potentially four to 20. Mm -hmm. The other part of this is I wonder how much – and I think I saw John Hollinger making this point – how much research we'll just say the Hawks at 15 did on Cam Whitmore. Right. If you have, okay, he might go four, then you would assume, you know, five through 10 are going to do their homework. There are reasons, especially when you have the kind of, right, it's a nine player draft. Koulibaly goes in the top 10. So if you're a top 10 team, you're picking from those nine guys because Bali wasn't one of the nine. So you have somebody that you feel like is absolutely one of the 10 best players in the draft available to you. If you're, you know, Indiana, Utah, Washington, ultimately Oklahoma City, those kind of teams. Mm-hmm. And well, not Oklahoma City, because but going through nine at least. So once he starts falling, I also think part of this is you don't necessarily have your – as much information as you would want to kind of lean back on because you assumed he would be gone. Right. Even Mm -hmm. if you're doing your due diligence and and being at least kind of prepared, you can't be in depth on every single player. There's just not enough time. It's not efficient. You got to focus on the guys that are going to theoretically be in the ballpark of where you're picking. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden what you see, if you're again, Atlanta at 15 is this guy is falling. Maybe you've got the medical information and you got some concerns about that or you heard something negative about a draft experience with him or whatever. And you don't have anything internally to point to and say, we did our homework and here's why we feel okay about everything. And so the farther, the farther it goes, the harder it is to stop the slide almost because those teams are less prepared and have less information to, to go on. And so you, you almost don't want to be the team that it feels like everybody else knows something you don't. I guess. I'm not saying that I agree. I, I just think that's part of what happened here.
0: I suppose. I, I I I understand the logic there, but it's not like like ten minutes worth of phone calls tells you exactly what you need to know about Cam Whitmore. Like it it just does. Like if you call the guys who did do all of their homework on Cam Whitmore and ask them why gonna, is he are, still are here? Are they gonna tell you though? If they've already drafted, what's the point to not? If if he if you're the if you're the New Orleans Pelicans at fourteen and we're on pick ten and he's not been taken and you've got a buddy in the pacers and wizards for an office, what's the point to not tell?
1: You're just helping another team.
0: Okay. I mean,
1: <laughs> I, I don't. I honestly don't know how much of that okay. goes on and how much doesn't.
0: Um. He drops to number twenty, anyways. Um. And he'll be now stuck behind a bunch of other guys who, you know, now you know now Cam Whitmore, he, who will probably. If if he does have a successful NBA career, will probably benefit from playing with guys who like to pass the basketball. I don't know how many. I don't know how many of those are on the Houston Rockets roster at the moment. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of what kind of role he has in Houston early on, and and how extensive it is.
1: And that's also a coach anime Hudoka who is not there to deal with nonsense. Right. So in that sense, maybe that is helpful in terms of there are obviously there are the things that have happened with email, but just simply from a leadership, cultural coaching approach, he is not the kind of most easygoing Kind of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but he he is somebody who is a, you know, a tone setter and has expectations. And if you don't follow those expectations, you're not getting on the floor, kind of thing. At least that's how he comes across to me. So that could end up being a benefit to Cam Whitmore if this was all kind of a wake up call and he does everything he needs to to kind of get teams to buy back into him. The Rockets got steal there's clearly something also that made all these other teams believe he wasn't worth taking a chance on. So.
0: Anything else you want to talk about in the first round?
1: Uh, I mentioned Olivier Maxine's prosper. I, I love what the Mavericks did. I will always be a Derrick Whitehead guy. So shout out to the Nets. Also like Marcus Saster to the Pistons. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but also that's a guy that's just going to make your basketball team better, and the Pistons need those kind of guys at this point, and especially at 25. I'm a big fan of and, – and the way he fits on that roster because he's mm-hmm. going to give you the defense. He's going to give you the shooting, and also you are more than maybe any other team in the NBA built to compensate for his lack of size. He's another piece that fits perfectly for what they're trying to do roster wise, and the other thing I'll say, first round, I am as really... long as
0: he as long as he figures out like he's had the ball in his hands every single second, Houston, yes. the last two years. So as long as he develops a productive offensive skill set that doesn't involve him having the ball in his hands, and maybe he turns into the guy who runs the show in the second unit, maybe mm-hmm. that. Turns I also, into what he I is I also
1: but... see him as an off ball guy. Sure, but he
0: wasn't an off ball right. guy in college. That's something right. he will have to develop yes.
1: into. Yeah, and the shooting is what makes me feel good about that. That, if nothing else, he can, he's not necessarily a 3D and D wing because he's obviously not a wing, but he can see, it. as long as he gets comfortable with it, he can help you offensively without having the ball in his hands. And he gives sure. you a secondary playmaker and all that. Yes, it's a different role for him. It's one I think he can figure out, though. I got confidence in.
0: But I also wouldn't be surprised if he spends a lot of time with the ball in his hands in the second unit. Yes. I'm oh, just, yeah. not, oh, right, I'm right. just not sure not how much time he's going to spend with Cade Cunningham on the floor.
1: Right, oh, right. He's not starting for this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just talking in terms of kind of a best-case scenario down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. He's also He gives you that opportunity. Right, now you have a backup point guard, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The The other team I'm really intrigued by first-round-wise is what the Jazz have done here. You've got two really high upside scorers in Bryce Sensabaugh and Keontae George to go with, who to me is the most entertaining player in the draft. Yeah, I'm just going to say, not the best player, but the most entertaining player in the draft. And maybe I just haven't watched enough of Victor Webanyama's highlights yet. But I love Taylor Hendricks. The question is... <laughs> what are you actually getting from these guys other than the things you know they can do? You've got two really good scorers who haven't really proven they can do anything else and a guy who can shoot the ball and play defense and is super athletic who doesn't appear to have a a real polished offensive game at this point. If this all works, the Jazz have all kinds of interesting pieces to add to the interesting pieces they already have. There's also a reason why... They took Bryce Sensibaugh 28th, and Keontae George 16th, and that might have been a reach. It's mm. not like they got steals here, but it's a very intriguing two players there that have an awful lot of potential if it all comes together.
0: I mean, in theory, those two things work together. Two guys with some offensive creativity and yes. all ball scoring alongside Taylor Hendricks, who yes. will be, I think, a really nice type of guy to have next to walker kessler with some rim protection ability as well but also some size that especially if he adds a little bit of muscle can can guard a lot of the fours in the nba at this point which allows walker kessler to be the guy around the rim yep and
1: very similar to indiana right Mm -hmm. yep absolutely all right, second
0: round. What jumps out to you?
1: Oh, so many things. Where do I start? I... So many things. Really? <laughs> so many things. You know, I love talking about the second round. The I've first... got
0: two things. So talk <laughs> as long as you want to, and I'll and I'll cap mine with the two things I want to talk about.
1: The of the, all the things in the second round, the one I am most excited to talk about is Jalen Pickett being playing for the Denver Nuggets. Okay. <laughs> Simply because. All I want now is one possession in which Jalen Pickett (laughs) is on the post in one side and Jokic is in the other with, you know, some combination of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. And Aaron Gordon or Kadavius Caldwell Pope or whoever on the, just, you know, set up (laughs) at the three point line, (laughs) just to see this in action, because (laughs) there's, and maybe Jokic isn't the best comparison for Pickett, but it's not like there are many better ones in terms of style of play. He is also this unconventional back to the basket.
0: You're not really comparing Nikola Jokic to Jalen Pickett. No, right? no, no.
1: I'm not saying he's you're not, taking, re- you're from not a, really doing that, right? No, now. from from a style okay. standpoint, that's all.
0: Yeah, but you're not really comparing style <laughs> of Nikola Jokic to Jalen Pickett, right? You're not really putting those two guys in the same sentence whatsoever, right? Like, not really. <laughs> You don't see the similarity? No, you're not. Nicola, that's like like comparing anybody to LeBron James. You're not allowed to compare the two. Okay, fine.
1: All I know is I'm very excited of of all the teams that Jalen Pickett could go to. And you know I love Jalen Pickett. The Mm -hmm. idea that he is going to get to learn how to do this stuff even better from Jokic. I don't know if it's going to actually lead to a successful NBA career, but I was so happy that the Nuggets were the team to take him. That's really all I wanted to say that. I don't have any deep analysis. I'm just happy. That's fair. <laughs> the other pick that I really really like and feel like could actually have an impact in the NBA next season. This will be this is my biggest kind of actual impact in the second round biggest application. I've been talking about Andre Jackson Jr. and this idea that to me I would have picked him in the first round we very quickly got to a point where I feel like he can impact winning more than most of those guys who got picked ahead of him to put him on a team coming off of a, you know, rather embarrassing postseason with a coaching change and Giannis coming back, determined to win a second title because clearly he is not satisfied with the first one in the best way possible. You've got a guy who, makes a difference and does a lot of things awfully well. I don't know if you can put him out there with Giannis too much because of the way it's going to really mess with your floor spacing. But in those minutes that Giannis isn't out there, Andre Jackson does many of the kind of things that Giannis does. Of course, he's not the offensive weapon, but from a, you know, in transition playmaking size, athleticism, all of that kind of stuff. That was the pick in the second round to me that, you know, that Milwaukee didn't have a lot to work with here and they still managed to come away with a guy that I believe is going to be part of the conversation in the postseason next year. So bravo to the Bucks.
0: I would probably bet on him being an, a a productive piece of their postseason. Yeah. probably. Absolutely. But, but, but I'm far less convinced than you are. Because, I mean, Giannis is going to play 42 minutes yes. in the playoffs. Right. If well, he can't you know, shoot, he's not going to be on the floor.
1: It, it'll be more of a, yeah, a here-or-there kind of 10 minutes thing. I agree. Yeah.
0: Like with, like Giannis, he can't be on the floor with Giannis. He doesn't shoot it well enough.
1: Yeah. Unless you are kind of in a specialty situation. Now, where I could see it, and we were kind of talking about this with Jaime Hawkes. let's say they're playing the Celtics. You might just have to take that risk and you and you do have Chris Middleton so you don't actually need the see they they have a third guy who can defend the perimeter now cuz they already have two but mm-hmm. something like that where you have two wings to deal with sure yeah he's he's not going to be a huge piece i just i will always believe that that guy is going to be valuable and the fact that he went to a championship contender makes me happy
0: he was one of those guys that you didn't want to get see get lost on a bad basketball team. Yep. Definitely one of those guys. I've got two things in the second round. One, Trace Jackson Davis ended up in Golden State.
1: Yeah. That's the other one.
0: That's a W. Oh yeah. Movement, high ball screen, you know, elbow pick and roll with Chris Paul. Let's do it all. Um, I, I simultaneously understand why he fell all the way to fifty seven and I kinda like that he fell all the way to fifty seven. And I think he has a skill set that will be given the time of day in the Warriors summer programs, in training camp. Like those are the those are the kind of things that a guy with Trace Jackson Davis's skill set needs. Mm-hmm. It's like a guy who likes to pass the ball and pick up during a tryout, right? It's just not going to jump off the page. And Trace, in individual workouts and in five-on-five, five at the combine, like those things aren't really going to jump out off the page when he shares the court with some of these other guys. But I I just find it hard to believe that he's not going to be a part of winning basketball in the NBA at, in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just as a, as a bench rotation piece. Yeah. But I guarantee you that if you could guarantee the 32nd overall pick was going to be a bench rotation piece, then yep. someone would have drafted, drafted Trace Jackson Davis way higher than this. And... I just think that the things that he can do as a passer and especially if he can just get into that rhythm of making the ball move quickly, which I'll be interested to see how that feels next year with a guy like Chris Paul on the team. But I just think that he has a skill set that will be appreciated in, in Golden State and he'll get some runway to show it in a way that maybe some other guys that are drafted between 50 and 58 don't get a chance to and those guys just kind of get you know shipped off to summer league and then shipped off to g league without really getting the chance to to show it I think Trace Jackson Davis might really get that shot and and I think it could work but I'm 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 happy for him and that he got drafted on even though it was late in the second round And the other one is that Amani Bates did get drafted, and that's a guy that is more talented than most of the guys. You know, Derek Whitehead. You know, it's the same. It's the same thing as Derek Whitehead on a. You know, you know, it's a it's a baby version of of that, right? Derek Whitehead was a was a top two guy in his class that went 22nd in this draft. And Amadi Bates was a guy that once upon a time, we were talking about where he was committing to college like two and a half years before he was actually going to show up on that college campus. That's the type of prospect that Amadi Bates was. And his last couple of years have been super weird. And, but that dude, that dude has the type of limitless range and confidence that you want from an NBA scorer, and even if it's just hey, that's a that's a microwave score off the bench. I mean, it's still if nothing else, you have to be intrigued if you're a Cleveland fan. If nothing else, you have to be very intrigued by by that possibility.
1: Starting with Trace Jackson Davis, not only do I agree with everything you just said, this is also a team, and the core members of this team, as they move farther and farther away from attempting to bridge into another generation by continuing to trade all of these draft picks they've made. This is a team of players outside of Chris Paul who has spent the last decade used to having a big pass them the ball from the high post, right? Their offense is built to do exactly what Trace Jackson Davis, we both believe, Is going to be best suited for in the NBA. So he can come in and do that immediately. Which is one of the the other part of this that makes me so excited. Is exactly like you said, if you might not see you know, kind of see how it's fitting and make it pop off the page, because nobody talks about it with Draymond either. But it's one of the secrets to that team's success, is how they figured out how to keep the spore face floor-spaced and how to keep the ball moving and to get Steph and Clay shots when everybody knows you're trying to stop him from getting shots, with Draymond being the facilitator of all of that. And so Trace Jackson-Davis fits into that seamlessly. The other part of this for Amani Bates, not only did he, get, right, did he get drafted, which is interesting, he got drafted by a team that has all kinds of talent and is trying to build a contender which again, with the 49th pick, and you are not there yet, if you're Cleveland, you still have some roster deficiencies that got exposed in the playoffs, I am all for swinging for the fences, and maybe Amani Bates becomes a real impact player for you. Maybe he doesn't, and that's fine, because it's the 49th pick. Thirdly, the other part of this that I don't want to get overlooked, is the location of the team he is playing for. With him in particular. To me, him being so close to home is a huge deal in terms of setting him up for NBA success. Not that it couldn't happen elsewhere, but if you want to create an environment in which Imani Bates is going to thrive, things like being really close to home and having a Donovan Mitchell there, who has been around the block, who knows what's up in the NBA, how to conduct himself, right? A very professional, you you don't hear anything bad about Donovan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Having those kind of guys around in Cleveland with a team that is not there to just have some fun, that is building a winner. You couldn't have asked for much more if you're Amani Bates. I don't know if all of that factored into Cleveland's thinking or not, if kind of, we feel like we have the environment to let him thrive, but they certainly do. I'm a huge fan of, where both of those guys ended up and their potential. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know if either guy has... It ends up having any footprint in either of those teams' future. But when it comes to... if it's possible and if if they the likelihood that they even get a chance right. to right. have an impa- impact and a footprint on the future... I think those two spots are pretty good.
1: Yeah. To end what up. is right? What is the environment that would maximize their opportunity to make it in the NBA and have have an impact and have success? Right? What are kind of the the things that you would be looking for? They both found exactly what I would want for them. The last guy I'll throw out there real quickly too. I do like Colby Jones ending up with the Kings. That's a first round talent for a team that is again building towards something. When you can add one of those with the thirty fourth pick, you did something well. We had a debate last night about what exactly is he, what is his specialty to kind of elevate that team and add a new dimension to it. He is kind of that Swiss Army knife. To me, he's a slasher more than anything, but I'm I'm just here for adding talent to find the Kings, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, you've still got a lot of awfully talented players, but I like that pick as well.
0: Last thing I'll throw out to you here. Is the is the two way contract Exhibit yeah. Ten contract, um, flood, <laughs> and I'll go through I'll go through everything that Woj has, and I'll I'll jump over to Shams. So, uh Villanova guard Caleb Daniels training camp deal with the Miami Heat.
1: Oh, that could be, that could be a home run. I would not be stunned if he's the next undrafted dude that ends up there shooting threes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> USC forward Drew Peterson, an Exhibit 10 contract with the Miami Heat. Okay. Let's see. Jacob Toppin, a two-way contract with the Knicks. Joey Hauser, a two-way contract with the Utah Jazz. Hmm. Adamas a two-way contract with the Chicago Bulls. Oh, yep. Let's see.
1: I would have loved somebody who needs shooting to bring Hauser, and a little disappointed he ended up in Utah, TBH. <laughs>
0: Serjabari Rice, two way with San Antonio.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: Let's see. All right, Woj is usually way more on top of this than I'm. Sorry, Shams way more on top of this than Woj. Here we go. Ready? Uh, Drew Timmy, Exhibit Ten with Milwaukee. Here for uh, Jalen Martin from Overtime Elite, a two way contract with the Knicks as well. Uh, RC Four, our guy. Two-way contract with the Philadelphia 76ers. Love it. Mike Miles, TCU guard. Two-way contract with the Dallas Dallas. Mavericks. Yep,
1: big fan of that one.
0: Marquise Noel, a two-way contract with the Toronto Raptors. Undersized guard (laughs) in Toronto. Undrafted. Sound familiar?
1: Yep, yep.
0: I did want to mention that Chris Livingston, there was talk about Chris Livingston just basically telling everybody not to draft him other than the team that, and I guess that team was Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was, if I was a, a, a guy in the second round, I'd probably tell people to not <laughs> draft me so that Milwaukee yeah. could draft me too. So good, good, good on him. Um, And that's most of what I got so far. There you go.
1: I think those were most of the ones I was looking for today. Yeah.
0: Pat Baldwin Jr. is on his way to the Wizards as part of the Chris Paul yep. pool
1: trade. Why not take yeah. a swing for the fences? If you're the Wizards, Just sure. you take your high upside guys. If it doesn't work, no big deal.
0: Uh, uh, Azel's to uh and Ter- Terquavion Smith. Also two way deals with the 76ers. Oh, I
1: forgot. Oh, they got to too. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now this is going to be where I get irrationally excited about the, all of these guys who probably won't even make the Sixers roster.
0: <laughs> Probably not. We'll get to see him in Summer League, though.
1: Oh, you know I'll be watching some of those Sixers Summer League games. Absolutely. I'm here for this team.
0: So there you go. 2023 NBA draft, the year of Wimbanyama, and all the chaos that ensued after the fact. Anything else on Thursday night before we get out of here?
1: Shout out to Jalen Slossman for getting drafted. Furman representation. Jalen. That's really all I got. Gonna take a little break. We'll be back a week this, from Monday.
0: This year we got draft picks from Central Florida, Santa Clara, Belmont, Shotspin Shepard. Yep. Yeah. Penn State, Clemson, Washington State, Pepperdine, Pepperdine.
1: Eastern Another Michigan. from Penn State,
0: sure. Yeah. Seth Lundy, absolutely. Eastern Michigan, Dayton, Furman, and then most of every, most of the other guys come from 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 schools that you would expect to have draft picks, but some some mid majors uh, represented well in this year's NBA draft. Like Josh said, we'll, we will be back nine ten days from now. No podcast next week, and then we'll come back beginning of july until then take care of yourselves and we'll see you back here in roughly 10 days please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast us on twitter at Jace for days pod and uh we will see you very soon thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh and we will see you later